Welcome and thanks for joining us on The Pivot a new audio series brought to you by Futures Without Violence. In these short podcasts, we'll be speaking with leaders in the work to end violence against children and their families. In particular, we explore the myriad ways that systems can be transformed in order to provide community support to adult and child survivors in a meaningful way. We have prioritized guidance and practices that advance equity and remove barriers for the best possible outcomes for the most marginalized and oftentimes excluded. We see this as a crucial pivot away from the punitive approaches that often form part of institutions and a new opportunity to connect families to holistic and culturally relevant community supports. Our aim is to generate a national discussion about how we can transform our mindset and practices to improve child and family safety. We hope that you will use these short yet meaningful dialogues to engage in discussions within your own organizations. I'm your host, Wendy Mota. Let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited for today's special episode in or part, I should say, of our special series for our summer reading, where we are curating books that we feel are beneficial, helpful. And today we are so honored to have the author of Becoming the Change, The Power of Cultural Intelligence, Loren Rosario Maldonado. Welcome, Loren. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Wendy. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to to have this conversation with you. And Loren, I'm wondering if you could just take a, a few moments to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, you know, not only the book, but your professional experiences. Sure. I am what you would consider a rebel with a cause. I spent over 25 years in human resources leading global HR teams for multinational corporations, primarily based here in the U.S., but with operations across Europe and Latin America. And throughout the course of my career, I was always exposed to different cultures, and it gave me an opportunity to really gain different perspectives in that regard. But it wasn't until I was working on my master's program five years ago that I really came to understand where those cultural differences stem from. And during an encounter I had with my multi-counseling class at the time, I really was thrust into an identity crisis because Part of the course was meant to educate us on cultural competence. And you would think that I have all this experience with uh, multinational corporations and working with people of different cultures that I would understand this already. But the course forced us to really immerse ourselves in any culture of our choosing, to understand its history and the nuances that impacted the culture at that time. And throughout this process, I came across the notion of slavery and and colonization and oppression and how I, in many ways, am privileged due to the color of my skin. And so 
I realized that this identity crisis was coming from, from me being culturally agnostic for the majority of my life and understanding the ways that that was impacting the way I was showing up as a leader, as a person, as a human, as a wife, as a cousin, as a sister. And that led me to cultural intelligence. And cultural intelligence helped me understand my cultural values and how they shape the way I behave with people within my culture and in other cultures. And that identity crisis really morphed into a call to action, an urgent call to action for me, where it became my platform. It became my platform for change, for change as a leader, as a human being and how I can help others learn cultural intelligence as well. And as a result, I started writing my book five years ago, uh, Becoming the Change, The Power of Cultural Intelligence. But I also created Cultura Inc. more recently to develop culturally intelligent organizations. And through leadership development and workshop and a series of Uh, public speaking engagements to bring awareness around this topic. Yeah, I love everything you said, Loring. And it also reminds me, you know, I think oftentimes when we're talking about diversity, equity, equality, you know, sometimes you, you, you can't help but feel, at least from my perspective, that it's almost like every few years, one of those words becomes like a buzzword, right? And it's, and people embark in this whole, you know, from human services to the law field to whatever field folks are in, it's almost like people almost get attached. And, you know, it's like, this is the thing now. You have to be trained in this. You have to do this. What I like about your story, Loring, is that your journey begins with curiosity and self-discovery, which I feel are pivotal and so important in one's own journey. You know, we can talk about implicit bias. We can talk about racism. We can talk, but it's like, until you don't kind of look at yourself in the mirror and really start the work from within, I feel it's almost I'm not sure how beneficial it can be if you don't do that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. My question to you is, why do you think now, you you mentioned it took you or five years ago you started writing, but why now? And how important do you think this message is for folks that are doing the work that see the importance in cultural intelligence? Why now? I. It's funny you you asked that question because... I ask myself the same question a lot of times, and diversity is growing exponentially. If you see the net migration that's going on in the world, not just in the United States, is growing faster than ever before. Add to that the different war-torn areas that are also fueling that migration. And so global is local now. And, you know, the majority of the workforce the labor force by 2020 will be over 20% migrants. And now is the time to really use our resources to educate ourselves, 
our leaders, our caregivers, our service workers, and everyone in between on the importance of understanding culture and cultural differences. And we also have an aging workforce that is about to exit the workforce, right? That's going to be compounded by this new generation that's entering the workforce. And this new generation, yes, they may have different values, but they have not been exposed to the different uh, cultural development programs that previous generations may have been. And one last tidbit I want to leave you with is that also compounds this issue is this. The U.S., as vast as it is, is an individualistic society that values its own and it values affinity. By default, this is what this country was founded on, right? Individuality. And with that, understand that 73% of Americans do not have a passport. That's insane. That's insane. That's To this day, I'm still shocked by that number. And what is even more impressive to know is that this population who may not have a passport is exposed to cultural norms through the media. And what happens? They're exposed to stereotypes that don't necessarily denote what really is part of that ascribed culture. So more reason why this type of learning has to be embedded in every aspect of our society because it's here and it's here now. It's no longer the future of work. It's today. 100%. And thank you so much for saying that. That is a little insane when you think about it. That number, folks that don't have passports uh, in this country, I, you know, it is a little shocking to hear. I, I also think, you know, and I hear this in, in what you're saying, it's almost like we owe it to not only ourselves, but to the folks that we work with and on behalf of, right? Embarking in this journey. I love a quote that you have in your book, and, and I want to read it now. It says, my love affair with cultural intelligence began as an identity crisis thrust into the labyrinth of fear, shame, pain, forged a path of self-discovery, acceptance, redemption, and humility. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. It's almost like... Um, a little bud, a roast bud, you know, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. But I love how you're able to be, you know, candid with your readers and say, hey, this is where it started. You know, you had a, a, a crisis, an identity crisis, but, you know, we could even call it a, an invitation, a calling to go inside, you know. I want you to talk a little bit about how you embarking in this journey, how has that impacted you both professionally and personally, if, if you will? But, but I'm really curious to hear from you. How has it helped you become a better leader, a better colleague? You know, you talked a little while ago about being a mom, a wife, a cousin, a sister. What, what has been the impact of you embarking and accepting this invitation? Once I took a look in the mirror and I acknowledged my biases head on, head on, without any masks, just brutally acknowledging them, I was almost 
immediately humbled by the fact that here I had this opportunity to make amends. And that led to this intense curiosity about why. Why do I feel this way about so-and-so? Why do I get so irritated when, you know, my, my husband wants to do nothing on the weekend and it's okay, yet I want to go out and about and it's also okay. You know, and cultural intelligence taught me that there's a value dimension called being doing, for example. And I'm a big time doer. I think if I could, you know, I could fit a hundred million things into the 24 hours that I have, all while getting an eight hour sleep. Um, And I'm the happiest person. Whereas my husband is the complete opposite. He values being. He values being in the moment, being, enjoying the moment, enjoying whatever he's doing in the moment. And, And that's what he values. So as a wife, I learned that we have these polar opposite views on how to spend our time, but we've been together over 30 years for a reason. And it's because we've accepted each other and for those values. And we allow those values to coexist and use humility and communication to bridge that gap. So that extended into my into leadership because I brought more of that into the workplace. You know, I started my HR career in a very linear way, and I brought more of that vulnerability into my team first and then the organization. I was very transparent about what was happening. People thought I was going crazy, but I really felt so compelled to express my story and tell people what I was experiencing. That is sparked curiosity in others. And through that curiosity, through that vulnerability, I was able to impact others in learning about themselves and their culture. So that's the long answer to your question, because it's been a a process. Don't get me wrong. It's (laughs) it's been very uh, it's been a very arduous process because it takes work. It takes work to show up in that space and to be vulnerable and to be comfortable being vulnerable when everyone else has a wall up. But I was so intent on on expressing and spreading this knowledge that I almost didn't care what people thought or what they felt um, at the time. And, And today I still, you know, I make it a point to throw in those cultural intelligence nuggets along the way. Yeah, I love that. You know, I am listening to you and I'm thinking about our listeners and our audience. The domestic violence movement in this country was created by white women in the 70s. And in a way, they usurped the, I guess, the experience of someone experiencing domestic violence, if that makes sense. And I'm sharing this to say that a lot of the organizations that we work with are mainstream organization. Um, A lot of them have white leadership. And so I guess I'm thinking about cultural intelligence, the way that you describe it and the value that it brings to folks in a professional and a personal and like in an individual at an individual 
level, what would you say is the value for a person of color to really hone in on their cultural intelligence while working in organizations that sometimes really aren't doing the work, really don't value diversity. Uh, Nonprofit work is like jack of all trade, master of none sometimes. So can you talk, speak a little bit to the value that this brings for for BIPOC folks, right? To really stand in that, I guess, in that knowledge and in that truth when around them, it may not be kind of like a, a nice marriage or supporting environment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can relate a lot because I also do a lot of work with Girls Inc. I'm I'm on the board of Girls Inc. of Greater Miami, which is a nonprofit that serves um, girls in underserved communities. And we educate them on leadership and STEM and uh, and really building a future so that we can help end the cycle of poverty, right? And um, we experience this quite often, not only within the organization, but within the school system, within other organizations that that either board members share or that we are exposed to in certain ways. And I will be very honest, it is an arduous process for people of color because they are almost always, if not always, the ones who have to educate others on what's happening, what's going on, because to others, it's an afterthought. And it's an afterthought because Every person has a different aspect of their identity and the value ascribed to each each aspect of that identity is different, human to human. And the sharpest difference in value when it comes to identity is ascribed to skin color. And what do I mean by that? You have a hierarchy of, of items that represent your identity. And for some, skin color may have the highest value. For some, skin color may have the lowest value, okay? And that difference impacts, influences the way that person shows up with all those aspects of their identity. For some, it may be, you know, their gender role. For some, it may be their gender identity or their sexual identity or career, profession, But when it comes to the subject of skin color, it is a very powerful aspect of one's identity that when ignored has immense deleterious effects on that human being's well-being. And that in and of itself makes the places a huge importance on why or explains why people of color are constantly having to explain the different nuances that others may not understand. It's because this is an important aspect of their identity. And it is exhausting. It's tiring. It's overwhelming. It is, in many ways, enhances all of the inequities that are happening across our system and the globe. So I say that to say that it is something that is very real, 
It does exist. And all I can say is don't stop fighting the good fight. You are meant to have to explain because we live in a, in a society of affinity. And when you live in a society of affinity, you are almost forced to remain your authentic self and defend that at all costs. You know, so that's, that is the reality. And human beings are biologically wired that way. So this is not something that you can take a course and it goes away. Okay, it is, it is an aspect of our society that is very real, but it is through our collective efforts that we can create a, a narrative around this that remains constant and consistent across generations. That the good fight doesn't end here, it continues. The question becomes, how do we create others to build and continue this narrative? 100%. And what I appreciate about what you're saying is, you know, there's an element here of self-awareness that we've been talking about since the beginning, which was the case of, you know, how you started. You know, you have an identity crisis, then it's like self-discovery. Uh, you know, it's almost like you see it when, for me, part of, at least the way I'm understanding you explaining cultural intelligence, part of it is standing in, in one's own truth, right? Because this it's it's the experience, it's how we experience the world. And it's interesting that you're talking about skin color because I have always, I, you and I have talked about this before, I've always identified as black, or as we say in Spanish, black pelao, that's it, you know? <laughs> I happen to speak Spanish, Spanish is my first language, ethnicity Dominican, but my experience being born in the United States is of a Black woman, right? And so that centers me in, in many ways, right? So it centers me, um, and I think I, I'm very blessed that very early on, I, I just, I gravitated towards that, right, identity-wise. Just one thought that, because we did talk about this, and one thought that I really want to emphasize here is, you know, tying it back to cultural intelligence and understanding your cultural values. To your point, I am, by definition, an Afro-Latina, right? I, I believe that's the political term today. But um, I always identified as white, and I always, uh, until I learned about cultural values and cultural intelligence, I always saw everyone the same. And later I understood that not valuing, not valuing a person's skin color as a, a pivotal aspect of their identity was denying them mm -hmm. their identity right. in and of itself. Right. The mere definition of colorblindness, right? Right. And That's what came to mind when you that, said that, by the way. Yeah. Yes. And after I went through this process and I understood how critical that component is to a person's identity, then I used the techniques that you learn through cultural intelligence to walk myself back from that. But it took confronting my colorblindness when I looked in the mirror and said, holy crap, like, mm -hmm. oh, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> um, 
how can the, you know, all kinds of crazy things, but understanding how I was not seeing people fully through this colorblindness forced me to take a step back and reassess the way I was showing up with people of color. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and it's that, that was your journey. That's, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm happy that you accepted that invitation. Right. Cause imagine there's people that go through their whole lifetime and it's, it's almost like, it's not that it doesn't impact them, but it's, it's also, in my opinion, a generational thing. Our parents came from another country. And so their understanding might be different than ours, you know? Um, but I think in essence, you accepting this invitation, you're now sharing it with the world. You're letting folks know like, hey, this is important. It has positive impact. And it actually does change you, like your book says, right? It definitely changes you. It does. It does. If you were to do an identity swap between a person of color and let's say a white person, the impact would be transformational because beyond empathy, they will understand why that aspect of that person's identity is so important. It is because it's seen. It is seen. It is the first thing that people see. And that in and of itself puts that aspect at the very top of their identity priority. Yeah, 100%. Lauren, I have two final questions. And the first one is, I'm wondering your thoughts on what would you tell listeners that want to embark on this journey? I'm asking that because it's like sometimes people like you get the invitation and they refuse it or, you know, don't get the invitation. But what would you tell listeners that want to embark on this uh, journey of self-discovery and curiosity and don't know where to begin? You know, for me, I, I see this was your entry point into this. But what would you tell folks that are listening to us today that want to start but don't know how to begin Where can they start? I would say start with a C-H-O-I-C-E. Have the courage to understand your biases, understand your cultural values, understand what they mean, understand your history. Have the courage to face them head on. The Cultural Intelligence Center has a great tool for assessing your cultural intelligence and your cultural values. Um, And there's other tools out there. There's Hofstede and others. But the first step is to have the courage to confront your biases head on and understand the root. H is for humility. You have got to have humility for yourself in this process. If you don't start there, you, you will never get anywhere. Have humility for yourself. It's a very painful process because these biases have existed with us for our entire lives. So have humility for yourself and humility for others. Open yourself to new experiences. Don't be afraid to experience new things in these different cultures that you may or may not be exposed to. Go to an Indian restaurant when you only eat, you know, when you only eat burgers or vice versa, right? So remain open to new experiences. 
integrate everything that you're learning with action. Because for every action, there's a reaction, right? So integrate whatever little aspect you learn, integrate it, act by explaining it to others, sharing it with others, and educating others on what you're learning. Remain curious, 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 curious about your learning, about other cultures, and how those, you know, and how you can coexist. Last but not least, empathy. Empathy. Empathize with yourself. It, I mentioned it before, it is a very tough journey. You're unlearning so that you can learn. So have empathy for yourself and have empathy for others who may or may not be going through your process. And if they're not, it may not be their time yet. Yeah, yeah. I I really appreciate what you said, Loren. Thank you so much for, for today's conversation. I'd like to end, and we can definitely include the link when we air this episode, but would love for you to share with listeners where can they get a copy of Becoming the Change, The Power of Cultural Intelligence. So the book officially launches this fall. I'm putting updates on the on the website, uh, laurenrosario.com. It's L-O-R-E-N-R-O-S-A-R-I-O.com. And you can keep tabs on launch dates and different uh, things that we'll be doing throughout the, the next few months in preparation for the launch. Um, so you can definitely find more information there. Yeah, I'm so excited for you, Loren. Thank you so much for coming and spending uh, this time with us uh, and having this conversation. We're excited about your book and we uh, we really appreciate you. Thank you, Loren. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Wendy, for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pivot. Please be sure to check out show notes for any resources referenced during the podcast. You will also find discussion questions, which we hope will help you, our listener, continue dialogue around these very important topics. If you know of any work happening in your community that would add to the national discussion generated by this series, please email us a summary of the efforts and work taking place to the pivot at futureswithoutviolence.org. That email again is the pivot at futureswithoutviolence.org. We will be sure to get back to you. Last but certainly not least, we would like to express our deepest gratitude to Chance Taylor for all his support in editing all the episodes and to Sudubi Kuke for producing the series. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, your host, Wendy Mota.